Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the podcast. That almost didn't happen today, but we're here. We made it. Bets, we're live. We're here, man. We're back. Um, yes, it was a little treacherous there. I'll let you fill the people in on what happened right before this recording, but I almost had to tell Kyle, like, listen, dude, we might not have to do this to show this week, but that was not an option for the Foot Clan. We had to bring it back, man. So fill the people in. What was going on in your world about 20 minutes ago? So... Bets and I, we have a time to record, and here in the great state of Georgia, storm came through, blew the power out, and so I just had to say, maybe this isn't going to happen tonight, and luckily, the power came back on, we were good to go, and uh, dude, we're going to, this might be the podcast, that because it happens, it helps somebody win at DFS, that's what we're hoping, and we're going to be talking today about how to approach each position, so quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. And some strategy behind that, and I know this is big picture, we're still in July, but these type of conversations are so helpful to see this as more than just this position. You know, we're talking about DFS and it's a market. Like there, It's like the way you think about economy bets. That's, that's what the people want to hear, right? They want to go back to economics class? I think so. I mean, I, I was never a business major, so I, I never had the uh, the opportunity to take an economics class, but all my friends, I remember freshman year, were just like, dude, this is literally the hardest class ever. Um, fast forward several years later, here we are on a fake football show talking about economics. So uh, it all comes full circle. Yeah, we'll be talking about some of those terms and hopefully making it super, super easy. But you're, we're super glad you're with us. This is DFS for the rest of us. And in the summer, we're talking more high-level strategy as we get closer and closer to week one. Speaking of week one bets... I want to throw out a quick question, and I just looked at the updated lines from DraftKings Sportsbook, which Bets and I talk about a lot. I want to talk about one of these games, okay? So I don't want to go too far into this because we're still like a month and a half away, but is there a game that you see on the week one slate that you feel like the market is a bit overconfident? Meaning when you look at the lines, the spread, the total, it just sticks out to you. So what do you see right now in terms of a game? Well, every time I log in to my app to look at these lines, as I do, because, well, that's who I am, I cannot stop staring at the Ravens only being favored by four and a half. Sometimes on some books, it's four points against the Raiders. And I don't think that it takes a lot of football sense to understand why I'm confused about this. It feels like a trap. It feels like the Ravens should be favored by six, six and a half, seven points against the Raiders team who dismantled their offensive line and clearly we project to not be a great team. They have a six and a half point or excuse me, a win total on the season. So Vegas is not counting many games and you look at, okay, maybe they're factoring in like the home crowd with the stadium. I know it opened last year, but now they have fans there. Like Vegas is crazy, but just like the organizations that you just trust in the NFL include the Ravens at the top of the list. And looking back at their last one, two, I have it pulled up three, four, five, Regular season starts in week one. They have covered this spread by four and a half. Obviously, different opponents, different quarterbacks, et cetera, et cetera. 
But the Ravens prepare, and I feel like they know how to win on the road. I feel like these Monday Night Football games, especially in Week 1, it's going to be so gimmicky with like the Raiders and their big-time crowd and their nightclub that they have there. They, God, they have a nightclub <laughs> in their freaking stadium. Uh, I don't buy into any of that. I think the Ravens come in and stop them. Minus 4.5. So you're not going to the nightclub? Well, I didn't say that. Because if I win preseason DFS Millie, I'll have enough money, fly out to the nightclub, watch my Ravens to win <laughs> by 4.5. You're you're dead on though. In terms of organizations that we just trust year to year, it is the Ravens. I was just thinking in my head, like, who do I think is a top five team in the league? And and it's the Ravens are on that short list. So yeah, that line is a bit confusing. They are on the road. It is that Monday night game. So we'll get to talk about in terms of showdown slate and how to attack that game. But that one definitely stuck out. And I'll throw out a game that's kind of under the radar. It's the lowest total on the board. It's the Broncos at the Giants, which for a lot of people doesn't sound super exciting. The Giants are actually one and a half point home dogs, which kind of is confusing to me. Betts, who is the best quarterback in this game? <laughs> it's Aaron Rodgers, obviously. <laughs> if Aaron Rodgers. It. <laughs> it, oh, it, man. I honestly, it might be Teddy Bridgewater, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. And. Whichever the three quarterbacks it's going to be, there's just a lot of variability. So already I feel like the Giants last year, their defense was above average and they were almost a playoff team without their best player, Saquon Barkley, gone. Daniel Jones was hurt. Their offensive line was just super bad. I just think they're better than being a home dog early on in the season with such a low total, 42 and a half. So that's a game that I'll be interested in that I think I already like the Giants at plus one and a half at home. And we'll see with DFS how it shakes out. I mean, with it being such a low total, I feel like it's a game where you can kind of fade because the Broncos defense is so good. But you can look at those week one lines. If you're interested, you can see and just get a sneak peek. And maybe it's like some practice reps for you to say, all right, I'm getting hyped up for DFS for the very first week. So you can do that first games, Dallas, Tampa Bay on that Thursday night. So I'm really excited about that. And Betts and I will have a couple of pods leading up to that week. So I know two weeks before we're going to look at the lines and then we're going to have a Thursday night kind of prep. And then we're going to have the whole week one DFS prep for that first week. So just wanted to give you guys a little bit of an insight and maybe tease you a little bit that week one is coming. And if it's coming bets, that means that our ultimate draft kit plus our DFS pass is still super cheap. And I mentioned every single pod because we have people that reach out to us and say, hey, I listened to the pod and then I bought the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus. You remember that tweet we got the other day? Oh, it was, dude, it was so nice. And this friendly listener also recommended uh, to our fearless leaders, Andy, Mike, and Jason, that maybe we should be getting a raise for pumping up the DDK. I don't know. I'm not saying. I'm just saying it was in the tweet. But no, it's awesome to see those because uh, it helps us know that, you know, you care about the product and that you're supporting the product and it just means a lot to us as a team so appreciate all you guys checking it out it is a ridiculous deal i think i technically got my raise this past weekend i was in arizona and i got to go to the suns game uh in game two so i feel like that's like a raise and a half just getting to what a game man oh dude it was so fun it was super loud um apparently i'm a suns fan now what do you think aren't we all I feel like that's the a fun part of this, living vicariously through Andy, Mike, and Jason. It's okay to like other teams. Like, I've grown up in Atlanta, and 
the Hawks have been kind of meh for a long time. So I, I for this playoff run, super fun to be a Suns fan. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm not gonna lie. I'm Suns in five now <laughs> when I'm recording. This. Kyle's a diehard fan since yesterday, <laughs> guys. Since I went to the game, huge fan. Look, no, it was it was super fun experience. Uh, super fun, but. Betts and I are going to be talking about different positions today. We're going to go through quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end, and talk about how to approach that. And when we're talking about these positions, the hardest thing is you can't just say, let's talk about quarterback without mentioning the other positions. Like This doesn't just happen in a vacuum where if you pick the right quarterback, then everything is unlocked. So a bigger conversation is roster construction, which you and I are talking about next week, or else Betts, we just play the best plays like that this would be super easy so just in terms of overarching thoughts about positions do you want to explain to people like this isn't just who do you like there's another huge part of this and it's salary yeah obviously like Kyle said you know if you're new to DFS you might just think like okay cool I have you know a hundred players to pick from at these positions and I can just kind of pick the best plays whoever has the best matchup unfortunately not uh yes there's a max salary on each each website whether it's FanDuel DraftKings and each player is assigned a salary based off, I guess, their algorithm or whoever is working for those companies to create these prices. And obviously, the players that project to be your studs, Christian McCaffrey, Lamar Jackson, etc., are going to have a higher price tag. Let's say someone else like, I don't know, uh, Olamide Zacchaeus, <laughs> wide receiver for the Falcons. Um, and it will correlate with how these players project. So you have to be able to kind of identify, you know, players that are worth spending up for. To put your your stamp on them, be like, I'm just gonna spend the money to get to this player. But I know that if I do that, I can't play X player. Like you have to kind of find these cheaper guys to fill in. And hopefully tonight's conversation can kind of help you guys determine maybe when you spend down at quarterback, spend up. Same thing at running back, wide receiver, and tight end. So uh, a lot uh, to go through, very nuanced. But hopefully these next several episodes are really gonna lay the foundation for a very successful 2021 for you listening to the show. There's a fixed price. So every single person's working with the same amount of salary. And that's helpful for us because we're not like a economic market where things do change. The prices change. We have a clear fixed price in terms of your salary. The player prices change week to week. But once those prices are locked on Monday night, then Betts and I kind of get to roll and move forward through the week and project who we think are the best plays because of their salaries. But the question is, how can you be better than the field? That's what we want to talk about tonight is how can you be better than everyone else knowing that everyone's playing quarterback? Obviously, everyone's playing two running backs. And it's about thinking about positions differently. Differently than just, I like this player, I like this matchup, move on. Uh, You also have to play the roster percentage game. And when we talk about roster percentages, those are our projections in the DFS pass that we say, here's where we feel like the range is for Devontae Adams. He's going to be 20% roster this week at, you know, 8,800 on DK. That's very different than maybe A.J. Brown that week is 8,000 and he's only at 7%. Like you have to treat those players differently regardless of, you know, Devontae Adams has a huge floor and a high ceiling. Like we love, we love the player. And like we talked about last week, contest selection is huge. Like if you want to think about positions differently, if you want to think about how to be a long-term winner, you still have to make the right choices about what contests you planned. Because you could say, nail the quarterback, but you're playing in the wrong contest. And what ends up happening is everybody else already has that quarterback and you haven't actually differentiated yourself. So any last thoughts about being better than the field, especially if they're first timers? 
I think one thing that you can kind of consider in those situations is to be sure that you are spending up for the right guy. And that sounds like really silly on the surface, but like if you spend up for two guys that flame out or really have a down week, uh, you're kind of dead in the water because you're kind of, you know, DraftKings salary and scoring oftentimes correlate very closely together. So, of course, it changes. You know, if there's like a running back that's out from injury and someone's 4K or 4.5K, then that'll change, of course. But generally, this, the salary correlates for a reason. So if you miss out on those high-priced guys, uh, that is where things can go south pretty quick. So I would say in cash games, which we talked about last week, go back and, and give a listen to the show if you're kind of cons- you know confused, like, what does that mean? In cash games where you're just trying to be better than half the field, I would really make sure that you are building your roster with understanding that if you spend up for someone, you better be right, because if not, things can go south pretty quick. Let's start off this conversation, and we'll get to talk about quarterbacks. 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 Yes, quarterbacks. And for each one of these positions, I have a cute little tagline bets that I crafted, and I feel pretty good about them. Okay, so quarterbacks... (laughs) That's the position where there's the most interchangeability in DFS. What do I mean by that, Bets? Why am I saying that quarterbacks, you can kind of change them compared to the other positions? Yeah, when you look at the running backs and wide receivers, you know, you can find guys that are 5%, heck, at wide receiver, 2% rostered. Running back, you're probably talking more like 8 10% rostered. Like these guys that are just uncommon that not everyone is flocking to in DFS well, because everyone knows how to stack and people know that they should be stacking, they're oftentimes putting a large group of quarterbacks as like, this guy's 10%, that guy's 11%, that guy's 12% because they're playing their wide receivers and they want to correlate and stack. So the the roster percentage is pretty flat. Like someone that's 13% rostered versus someone that's 11% rostered gives you zero advantage on the field. Everyone is kind of the same. And sometimes there's a week where it gets a little fluky and you have someone that's really popular. Maybe they get up to 15%. But it's very rare that you have someone that's like 25% and then someone that's like 2% at quarterback. It just doesn't happen the way it does at wide receiver and running back. So you need to understand that that's not necessarily where maybe you want to get really different in your roster. Not that you can't go against the grain in those scenarios. But I think that there's less of an advantage in trying to be cute and unique at quarterback where we know the roster percentage is so flat that you're not gaining a lot on the field in those scenarios. When you carry over the mindset of how we play redraft fantasy... A lot of people subscribe to late round quarterback. Shout out JJ Zacharyson. And we know that any quarterback can put up 25 points. Like anybody can do it. Week one last year, Gardner Minshew was a top five quarterback. And they won somehow in week one. And then they proceeded to lose 15 straight after that. So anybody can score 25 points. And so the the roster percentages are flat, like Bet said. Like no one's going to get crazy popular. Everyone's going to have a little bit of roster percentage. And sometimes you can try to get cute where you're like, ooh, let me find the cheapest guy because I know he has a chance at 25. But there's also not a huge difference in salaries. If you go on FanDuel, FanDuel's prices are so clumped together that, you know, you pay up for somebody like a Russell Wilson or, you know, anybody in that tier. And you can find somebody else that's like, I don't know, 300 less, like Ryan Tannehill that has the same exact ceiling. So a lot of times... It's hard at quarterback to get different than everyone else. So I just want to make sure that's very clear with people. You want to find the guy that's the cheap one that's going to be able to do it. Like that's that's a great search each week. I love doing that. But it's a blessing that you can do that. But it's also a curse if you get too attached to the cheapies 
then you end up chasing points. And I've done that so much in the past where I'm like, let me find the quarterback that is super cheap, a.k.a. Mike Glennon or <laughs> somebody else. And you end up uh, searching for something that's really not not there. Well, there's a lot of quarterbacks. Their floor is, you know, 250 yards and two touchdowns. Like you can bank on something like that from Justin Herbert or someone else last year. Like that was there. So what are people looking for in cash lineups at quarterback? Yeah, I would say in general, we want to emphasize floor, not over ceiling, because ceiling can help us get there. You know, like it's not bad if Patrick Mahomes throws five touchdowns. Like that's awesome. Of course, then we'll take that in cash. But you're more looking for floor to really stabilize your roster. You do not want to be the roster in a head to head, you know, a 50 50, a double up that gets like 10 points from your quarterback. Everyone else is getting 20, 25, sometimes 30. So I think having a high floor is super, super important, especially in cash games. And what we look for is like, can this guy get me 20 points? Can this guy get 20 points at the quarterback position based off of a great matchup, based off of uh, high rushing ability? That's huge in this sort of sort of format. You know, we're looking for someone that's like, I'm going to go out, I'm going to get you 250 and two through the air and maybe pad the stats a little bit on the ground. Safe, reliable, something that you would say like, this player I'd feel confident starting in my redraft league. And in most scenarios, that's going to be perfectly fine for cash games DFS. Yeah, the, there are certain quarterbacks that just felt so safe last year. Josh Allen was one of those, Kyler Murray, where you might have had to pay up a little bit. But in cash, you knew that they could get there on the ground. And in the air, you, like you said, that 250 and two is something that you can bank on. So high floor rushing quarterbacks are the best. But if you also see a quarterback that is cheaper and you know that they're going to have to have a lot of volume, then that's another way you could go about it. And obviously with these quarterbacks, you're thinking about stacking. Other than a suit like a Lamar, I'm going to be stacking my quarterback with at least one other player, preferably a wide receiver or tight end, and saying, I think that this pairing is going to do well, that the wide receiver has a high you know, floor, he's going to get some targets, and those two are going to correlate pretty well together. But in a GPP, what you're asking is that player to 5X their salary. You're asking for them to do, so a $5,000, which is kind of the minimum for a lot of these quarterbacks, you're asking them to get 25 points, which is a lot, honestly, in a GPP. That's why those sometimes are super thin plays. But when you start thinking about these quarterbacks, they start getting bonuses too. You know, the 300-yard passing bonus is three points. That's huge. So when you get a player that's up, you know, mid 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 range at quarterback, you're hoping I can get the four to five X on that so I can win a GPP. But what do you think separates the quarterbacks that are like good plays to like great plays in some of these tournaments? Yeah, I think the thing that can really elevate quarterbacks in in tournaments is really like those game scripts that just go absolutely bananas. Of course, you want that like high upside back and forth game. We talked about on last week's show with you know Baker Mayfield and Ryan Tannehill that game last year that they just went absolutely berserk there was over like 60 points scored in the game and both offenses just exploded like you're looking for that type of game environment and or don't forget again you're looking for um, stacks maybe not at the quarterback position that's really unique because we talked about it again the roster percentage tends to be pretty flat but you're looking for also correlation with a quarterback that you think can have a huge week based off of the opponent their recent play 
maybe their uh, game script or the total in terms of Vegas. And then as well, like, okay, how can I pair this quarterback with a wide receiver to make sure that if he has an awesome game, I'm also getting the double dip and the, the points on my wide receiver as well. And preferably because we know roster percentage is so important, you're trying to find a wide receiver that's a little bit unique in terms of the roster percentage there. So that's kind of what I look at in terms of quarterback GPP plays. But I feel like in general, you really want to make sure that you have a massive, massive ceiling at quarterback position, someone that can go out and kind of like break the slate, you know, with a huge uh, performance that week. It's super fun when you do identify like a top three quarterback that week because you're getting the double points. Like you mentioned, like I figured out the quarterback and maybe your stack doesn't get fully there, but at least like he's if the quarterback's being elevated, hopefully the passing options doing pretty well. But here's just a tip to add on what Bet said. If you're trying to weigh out which is the best GPP play and you're trying to get contrarian, add up what we have projected as the roster percentage for the quarterback and whoever you're stacking him with and compare that to a couple other players. Like if it's Mahomes and Kelsey, add that up and compare it to, you know, Trey Lance and George Kittle and say, okay, between those two, who do we see is going to be projected for a high roster percentage? And that just shows you, okay, well, both of these options are people playing them together probably. And then if I compare that to another stack, can I have leverage on the field? And we'll talk more about leverage and the best time to use that as we get closer. But that's a concept that's super important because you're playing against other teams. You're not just making the best lineup. You're playing against other teams that probably have similar players if it's Kelsey and Mahomes as well. But let's move on to the next position. Running backs. With running backs, we are talking about a position that has the most predictability in DFS. See where I'm going here, Bets? First one oh, was I in- love it. interchangeability. Now we're talking about predictability. I mean, I spent two minutes crafting this to make sure they all lined up. But explain why running back is the most predictable position in DFS. I would say it's the most predictable position in fantasy football in general. You know, you look best ball, season long, etc. The salaries that you will see with these running backs, they correlate with the best running backs in football and the guys that are going to get a massive workload. So it's so much easier to predict, you know, how many touches this guy can get, how many targets this guy can get, and just your ability to, you know, put someone in your lineup that you feel confident about. But understand, you know, it's not a wide spectrum of guys that you can pick from. Like at running back, my pool each week maybe is like four or five guys. I don't know. What what would you say, Kyle? Like maybe in that range? No, that sounds about right. I mean, you can try to get cute at running back and then you have to tell yourself so many different stories. Yeah, it gets thin really quick because again, salary drops off. And as soon as you, I feel like you get below like 7K, all of a sudden you're looking at guys that you're like, well, this matchup is awful or... Uh, man, he's been losing touches to, you know, Salvin Ahmed, Miles Gaston's been losing touches. I don't know if I want to go to him this week. He's, you know, 6,700, but I don't know. Like it just falls off very quickly where you have zero confidence in those running back plays. And in general, we tend to see when you look on a season long average, of course, there's week to week variability a little bit, but on the season long average, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel, the salaries are pretty smart. They line up very well with production at running back. So in general, You know, I'm not looking to get different at running back each week. I'm looking to play the guys that are reliable, that are going to touch the football a lot. And I think that's why you coined this term here uh, in the show, Doc, predictability in DFS with these guys, because that's what you do with each week. You predict their volume and you kind of run from there. 
they're the money makers. These are the guys, you know, the Dalvin Cooks, Zeke, like those are the players that you know are going to get these touches. And it gives you confidence, when, especially in cash. And with running backs, we know we have to start two. And then at our flex position, it's very easy in cash game for me to lock in a flex running back that I can say, all right, he may be a little cheaper of an option, but I can see 15 plus touches here. And that's just so wild that you can look at a player that's going to get those touches even better if they get the pass catching volume and you can bank on that. But last year was a bit of a interesting case bets. I looked at these numbers. I, I did some spreadsheet stuff. If, of course uh, you did. If you're interested. But 2020 marked the fewest running back receiving fantasy points, or as Jason calls it, running through the air, the fewest running backs receiving points since 2012. Running backs averaged just 1.48 fantasy points per reception. That's for half-point leagues. And their receiving yards were the lowest they've been in the last decade in terms of average yards per reception. So receiving was actually down last year in terms of what we could bank on. And on the other end of the spectrum, you know, we think of this being a passing league and, and, and banking on that. It was actually a resurgence for running backs on the ground. Running backs average 0.66 fantasy points per rush attempt. That's the highest in the last 10 years. So for some reason last year, it wasn't as high in terms of points per uh, reception as rush. Um, I mean, there's still a huge advantage in terms of catching the ball, but we rode people like Derrick Henry, right? We did. Every week it snowed. Derrick Henry came through for us. <laughs> I you have I, I wrote on here pound the rock because that's what teams decided to do. People like James Robinson, who week to week didn't put up crazy ceiling games, but his floor was so high because he was getting the touches. And he was even getting touches on the ground for a team that was trailing, which is kind of rare. So running back fantasy points, you have to think about them in terms of point per rush and point per reception. And you can add those up. We do that in our projections. So if guy's going to get 15 uh, rush attempts and get four receptions, like there's more there than the guy that just gets, you know, 18 carries. Like there's something else in the equation. So what are you looking for in cash in terms of your running backs? Safety, man. I'm not getting weird at running back in cash. That is the place that I go to start my lineups. Uh, I want guaranteed volume. I want Christian McCaffrey. I want Dalvin Cook. I want Derrick Henry, Saquon, etc. Those guys that you know are going to touch the ball 15, 20, 25. Heck, in Derrick Henry's case, 30 times sometimes. Uh, volume is just so, so important at running back because you have more opportunity to score fantasy points, obviously, which sounds like, oh, thanks for that help, Bets. That's very obvious. Uh, but the opportunity to score more fantasy points and more touches just leads to safety because there's so many touches to go around for volume that, again, even if this player, let's say Dalvin Cook goes out and gets 24 carries and he has four targets, like he may not have the best game of his you know season, but he'll probably, have a, I mean, most weeks he'll have a good week and good enough for you to cash uh, and these bigger, you know, 50-50s or a head-to-head, things like that. So that's really what I'm looking at in cash. It's it's the stri- most straightforward translation if you're new to DFS. Going from redraft to DFS, the running backs that are the studs are the running backs you want to play in DFS. It's not really that much different uh, outside of that, you know, in cash games. Of course, in GPPs, we'll talk about here in a sec. You can get a little different. But yeah, really for, for cash, pretty straightforward. Play the volume. These are the most expensive players. And so it brings in, I think, the scariest part of DFS, and that's figuring out who to fade because players that are priced like that, you know, the Derrick Henrys, there are weeks that maybe you need to fade them. I mean, they were 
what, 11 and five last year. And in their five losses, he averaged only 84 rushing yards per game. And the fantasy points were cut in half. So if you looked at the game script and said the Titans are going to lose, like that Browns game we mentioned last week and you mentioned earlier, then that was a week to fade him. And we have a very clear model for that. I mean, you you created that, so that's easy to do. But fading running backs is a scary proposition because you look at the volume and you say, it's there. I can see it. That, you know, I brought this up a couple of times, but the week that Dalvin Cook was out, it was Alexander Madison week against the Falcons. I don't know if you remember, like, it was just, he was the safest, easiest play. He wasn't like a high price. He was like a mid-level running back. And the volume was there, but he just didn't get there. And you had to take a stand on that. So any tips on how to figure out when to fade or or when to just jump full into chalk? I You made a great point. And I feel like this gets lost in today's analytics view of fantasy football. I mean, shout out to you and the other spreadsheet bros. But these football guys that watch the tape, you know, they grind the tape, Kyle. Like, there are good players and there are players that are not as good. And I, I feel like that's the, the most silly thing for me to say on this show. But the reality is, like, that's the truth. We have seen Tony Pollard smash when Zeke is out. Like, if Zeke's out, I'm playing Tony Pollard. We've seen it. I trust him. He's a good player. When Gio Bernard is the dude, now at the tail end of his career, everyone is flocking to him when Joe Mixon's out last year. You can tell yourself a story like, okay, Joe Mixon's, or excuse me, Gio's getting older. We haven't seen a ceiling game from Gio in a couple of years. Like, is this right? He's cheap, but he's going to touch the ball. Is that right? So there's definitely different paths, I think, that you can take when you look at overall like player takes in terms of how they are and how they've been operating on the field. And then as well, like their historical trend as far as how they performed when their starter in front of them has been out, if they are a backup uh, and they've had the opportunity before, you know, it's just something so safe about if you've seen it before, you know that they can do it. Whereas everyone assumes that they will do it. And again, we know there's projection error with these guys all the time. So I think that's where I'm looking at more. With these backup running backs, I'm not sure if you have a different take, Kyle, but that's kind of where I lean as well. I, I just think talent evaluation is way more important than some people give it credit for. We love looking for the cheap guys. Like that's that's just like the like we mentioned before, that's the skeleton key that unlocks the rest of your lineup. And so if you're just telling yourself two or three stories to figure out if maybe this running back's the right guy, um, you're probably going too far. So it's a bit nuanced because everybody can really be a good player at running back when they're touching the ball 15 times, but the game script's super important. And for GPPs, those running backs that are like seven or 8% rostered, I think those are usually the ones that end up winning those tournaments because like Nick Chubb's a great example. You can tell yourself a story with Nick Chubb and say, he's not going to catch the ball, you know? So maybe you look at this game, you say, okay, I could see the Browns being down in this game. I could see the Browns, you know, not really being a team that I want to jump on this week. And so Nick Chubb gets off your board and he gets at six, seven, eight percent rostered. But we know Nick Chubb. We know he's a good football player, Bets. Like you mentioned, he he can break long runs. He can have huge two touchdown, hundred yard games, get you the bonus, and end up being the RB three or four that week. So those are the things that I'm looking for in terms of GPP running backs. I'm looking at who are the top tier guys, and they're clearly the best plays in cash. They're priced there for a reason. But in GPPs, I want to find the running backs also that have a similar ceiling. It's just usually there's this narrative that we can just kind of say, all right, well, they're not as safe, but we're not looking for safety in GPPs. We're looking for players that can hit a ceiling, might hit their ceiling, and that kind of confusion is causing people to kind of lay off a little bit. 
Do you think do you think that people are scared to take to look at running backs that way because we like the guaranteed volume so much? Like because it's so predictable, it can be hard to take a plunge in GPP. I think so, but at the same time, I don't like the whole argument about like predicting volume that you might say can help you get different. We're not talking about playing these guys that are so off the board. Like Kyle mentioned Nick Chubb. He, we know he's going to touch the ball. Like It's not a, a matter of volume for him. I feel like a lot of times in DFS, people will take volume plus matchup, insert here, and go. And they'll just move on right away. And obviously, that sometimes is a good strategy. I'll probably do that in cash most weeks. But when you're looking at these guys that Kyle's mentioning, these guys that somehow dip below 10% rostered in these tournaments that you're looking to get different at running back, you know, there's going to be good plays that just either have a suboptimal matchup. You'll see the little, uh, the red next to this player's name in terms of their matchup. It'll tell you the fantasy points given up against the position. That's psychologically, it does something to us that we don't want to play them. Um, but we've seen, you know, Dalvin Cook last year. I remember I played him everywhere that game he smashed against Green Bay. And I can't remember who the two running backs were that everyone was just flocking to. Dalvin Cook was like going against a horrible run defense, so it matched up, but he just wasn't the popular play that week. So people, the group think in this game is insane. You will see people talk about players and write about players and talk about players, you know, on their shows. And it will, all of a sudden you'll have this thing. You're like, wait a minute. Everyone's talking about the same guys. The roster percentage will condense on three to four running backs every week. There's probably maybe two, maybe three that are good plays or just not the optimal best plays. But again, we see the chalk fail all the time. So I think you don't have to get that different. Just be willing to look at where is the volume possible, but the roster percentage is not going there. The matchups, I think a lot of the time do dictate it. You brought up the green and the red that's just plays with your mind already. And a player that this was just so clear last year is your boy, Miles Sanders. His two best games last year were against Pittsburgh and Baltimore, I believe. Like he he had some long runs and he was a player that no one wanted to play because it's Pittsburgh. Like, why, why would you do that? And, and he was a great player that week. So matchups isn't everything. I would say it's more of a GPP play, but realize that when we're super confident in the workload and we're super confident in the game script, that's usually a chance to take advantage for running backs because the, t- the guys at the top are going to be rostered a ton. And, and rightfully so we are going to say over and over again, it's going to, we're going to sound dumb each week when we talk about our cash game plays, but like, I want to play CMC this week. Like that's, that makes sense. But when he's $10,000, you have to pay up. And when, you know, a Miles Sanders or you know, Nick Chubb, let's just use him. Like he's going to be around 8,000, you know, 7,600. And there's, he has a similar ceiling to CMC uh, if he really were to go off, but let's go to the next position. It's wide receivers. Wide receivers. Wide receivers bets. We talk about this all the time. Have the most volatility in DFS. What do we mean by that? They are a roller coaster. If you look at like a better example, it might be like an EKG. It was like a weekly scoring output from a fantasy wide receiver that's not named Devontae Adams. Last year was just obscene what he did. He was almost like a cash game running back last year, honestly, for Devontae Adams with his salary and how many points he was putting up. But that is not the norm at wide receiver. You will see big spike weeks, and all of a sudden, a player disappear for six fantasy points. They're back up. They're back down. Maybe they kind of go in the middle somewhere. They're back up. They're back down. Like It just week to week, we can't predict it as well as we would like to. 
as well as maybe we think we can. So they are extremely volatile in that I think of any position in this game, they probably have the most error in terms of what you'll see in projection. And not that it's not you know, right to project them for a certain number of points or targets or yards or whatever, but we just know because we're relying on a quarterback to make the play, uh, or really we're relying on the offensive line to make the play, the quarterback to drop back to make the correct read, then make the correct throw, then the wide receiver has to catch it, then he has to produce when he has the ball in his hands. Like, you're asking a lot to go right for those scenarios for wide receivers in general in football, that we just know that there's a lot of spiked weeks and there's a lot of down weeks that come along with it. So getting stuck in locking in these projections for these wide receivers as facts can be really tricky because they're they're so volatile. We know that there's going to be passing volume for every single offense outside of, you know, Cam Newton last year or whatever. Like we know that there are going to be passes thrown, but the way that it gets distributed each week is kind of a mystery. You know, we we look at certain players, Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, like, okay, they're going to get their eight, nine targets. Like that's there and they're expensive. But outside of that, it gets spread around a ton. Like maybe this is the week where the tight end catches the touchdown and they run two in. And you're like, holy crap, what happened to the wide receivers this week? I was banking on that secondary just being terrible and it just didn't work out that way. So wide receivers just kind of spread thin. Maybe you banked on it being the wide receiver one and it's the week we mentioned last time, Corey Davis goes off and you're like, what the crap? AJ Brown is the best player on the field. Why is Corey Davis going for 182? So that's that's just something you need to recognize that each week, last year, every single wide receiver in the NFL, every single one had at least one week outside of the top 50. And Stefan Diggs is the only, he was 50th overall, but everyone else was just even way past that. But when you look at Stefan Diggs, he was the mark of consistency last year, led the league in targets, receptions. He was awesome, right? He only had five weeks where he had over 25 PPR points. Five weeks. That's like not crazy. So there wasn't just like you could have played digs and 20 points is great. And that works in cash. But in a GPP, that's actually not getting you there. He's not doing more than 4X. And that's what you need in a GPP. So every single wide receiver has ups and downs. And it's just important to, to recognize that so that you don't assume that you're right every single time. For wide receivers and cash, what are you looking for? Targets, targets, and more targets, especially if a player is cheap and that we know that they have a role in the offense as far as getting targets. So we talked about building cash game lineups last week in terms of like wanting to prioritize volume at running back because we know it's easiest to project. Of course, it's not it's not foolproof. There are There is some error associated with it, but it's way easier than wide receivers. So I feel like most of the times I'm looking to lock in two really solid running backs that I feel confident in, and then maybe one to two mid-range wide receivers that, you know, if I need to spend up because every there's so many chalky, like cheap plays, obviously you have the salary, do it. But most weeks you're you're really thin for salary. It goes super quick on these sites, way more way quicker than you think it will. Um, so you're oftentimes finding yourself playing a wide receiver, sometimes two that isn't quote unquote ideal or the best play, but you're looking for someone that there's a path to success at a salary that is not going to kill you. And I think that is the key. When you're looking at these players in cash games, you know, you're talking about guys that might be 4,000, 4,500, something like that. And you're like, okay, they're not expensive. I don't love playing this guy in my lineup this week, but I could see a path to eight targets. And if he catches six of those for 60 you know, yards, maybe he finds the end zone, like you're golden in cash. That's all you need. So you really don't have to have these 
huge five for 150 in two games out of these players in cash. You're looking for volume and you're especially looking at um, opportunity costs in terms of what their salary is. On DraftKings, they can go as low as 2,500 um, or 30, you know, that range of 2,500 to up to 4,000. I usually end up having one wide receiver because you have to start three of them. I end up having at least one wide receiver in that range because I'm looking for a little bit of volume and I'm asking for them to two or three X. So a player that came to mind was Jacoby Myers last year. His salary slowly rose from week seven on last year. The dude was on a 90 reception pace and 1100 yards. Like he was a good player in a terrible offense and especially a terrible passing offense, but he was usable in DraftKings, especially on cash because he was getting that guaranteed volume every single week. So yeah, I love getting the studs, but when you start paying up at running back, you end up having to sacrifice it at wide receiver because you have to start three of them. And I love you. You mentioned Adams. He was, he really was like a running back last year. He was like a goal line running back because they, the way they used him in the red zone, but you can't use him every single week. So yeah, finding the cheapie is great. And we just care about, you know, five targets, six targets, seven targets for these guys. And uh, they can pay off. The end zone is tough especially when you look at guys that are kind of just more PPR dudes, but uh, that that's kind of what you want. But in GPP, this is, this is super important. GPP is for wide receivers. I think the hardest because there are so many different dudes. I mean, there are 50 guys you could choose from each week that could end up, uh, you know, as the number one wide receiver, like Richie James was the number one wide receiver last week, Richie James for the Niners. Like, there's just I remember so that many... Thursday night game. It's wild. There's just weird <laughs> plays. So yeah, for sure. And there's weeks where like Marquez Valdez Scantling is going to outscore Devonta Adams. Like, how silly is that? But it happens. And I think embracing that there is a lot of weirdness in football. Like, you can't predict what's going to happen. Obviously, we'd all just be uh, filthy rich if that was the case. You need to be willing to embrace. I think the chaos at wide receiver is how I would describe it. Um, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with targeting a game that you like, but maybe we say, okay, the Chiefs are playing the Bills. Holy crap, there's going to be 65 points scored between these two teams. We want all of the exposure. Okay, everyone else wants to play Tyreek Hill and Stephon Diggs. Maybe it's a Gabe Davis week. Maybe, you know, maybe it's Michael Hardman week. Maybe it's Demarcus Robinson week. Guys that you aren't really in love with. So I think in GPPs, I'm more willing to kind of look at uh, maybe not projectable volume as much, but more game script and saying, okay, like if Mahomes goes off, but for some reason it's not Tyree Kill, what happens next? And then you can kind of get a lot of leverage. And of course, use the roster percentage in the DFS pass to help you with that. But that is where I'd be looking to get a little different in game stacks, especially because like you said, last year, that prime example was AJ Brown. Everyone wanted AJ Brown. Meanwhile, Corey Davis is just sitting there chilling in the end zone, catching a touchdown, 8% rostered. No one played him. The second or third wide receiver on team is naturally going to be cheaper in terms of salary and they will have their due. Like they will show up one week and it's great when you can do that for GPP and find that receiver that kind of gives you leverage over everyone else because naturally most people didn't double stack AJ Brown and Corey Davis. In fact, if you would have done that, your lineup could have been hindered because you also played AJ Brown. So it's, it's super important to figure that out, how you can create leverage based on these other wide receivers. And it just takes practice. I mean, there's, you're going to get it wrong. You're going to get it super wrong that you picked, you know, the thin wide receiver play in GPP and it just didn't hit that week. 
I remember Henry Ruggs was one of those players we talked about a couple times, and he eventually did hit uh, because, you know, he can go for 100 yards on a long bomb. But it's taking a stab at that in GPPs. And then if you're building multiple lineups, which you should, if, you know, if it's a contest with 20 entries, Max, you should be saying, all right, I like this team. This is in my pool of players. I'm going to see if if I can create a lineup with Corey Davis as as the guy and just say, hey, they don't get there through Derrick Henry. They don't get there through A.J. Brown, which I know is crazy, and instead say it's going to be Corey Davis. So any other last thoughts on wide receivers? I just think in general, it sounds so scary when like everyone's like, listen, guys, I know this is the week. I know it is. Uh, I know it's Steph Diggs week. You got to play him. And it, it can get scary to be like, man, if I get buried by Steph Diggs, like my lineup is done. But I think in GPPs, you need to be willing to fade chalk wide receivers. Just accept it. I think if you do that more times than not in the long run, if you play for a couple of years or you know even in a season, you're probably going to be way more profitable uh, in that process. So I think if there's someone that's condensing, what would you say? Like maybe above like 20% at wide receiver. I'm usually looking elsewhere maybe in cash i'll spend up for that player but in gpps i'm looking to get out yeah because there are three spots in there i think once you start going above 15 yeah 15 to 20 that's super high and you won't find tons of receivers there uh but once they start going above 20 it gets scary and that's when you have to make a stance i'll also just add that we have a article in the dfs pass each week we talk about wide receiver and cornerback matchups and that's just another part of this to play it's not perfect science because not every single cornerback is going to shadow. A lot of cornerbacks are learning how to play different parts of the field. But we talk about matchups in the slot, who to fade, which are the high price studs we really like. And the the low budget volume are basically the best plays. Like that's my favorite part of that section of that article is to find the guys that are cheap that we say, hey, they might get six, seven targets this week. And based on their price, uh, they're a good play. But let's go to one final position. Tight ends. That was a that was a different drop than the others. I honestly completely forgot about this. <laughs> All right, last one. So just to recap, for those who are taking notes at home, they're sharing it with their parents, whatever they're doing, quarterbacks is the most interchangeability in DFS. Running backs, most predictability. Wide receivers are the most volatility. And tight ends bets have the most polarity in DFS. Thank you. Well played. Well played. Thank you very much. So what do I mean by that? There's two options. You either pay up for the studs, Kittle, Kelsey, Waller, or you punt. And I want, when I mean you punt, I mean you punt. Like we're not talking like, I hope it's Evan Ingram's week. I hope it's Hunter Henry's week. No, we're talking like Irv Smith last year, Cole Komet, like random dudes that are going to catch maybe a touchdown because when you look at the scoring and just in general taking like TFS out of the equation we just know like week to week tight end scoring like if you're the tight end seven it doesn't matter if you're the tight end 12 it doesn't matter like you just need to be uh, for usable weeks especially in GPPs like you need to have a huge ceiling at tight end and you need to have a ceiling relative to your cost so what I mean by that is like if a tight end is three thousand dollars and they get two touchdowns, like you're thrilled. You are sky high excited because they were so cheap. You didn't have to, you know, sacrifice your lineup elsewhere, but they still put up points. Or you need Kelsey to break the slate, Waller to break the slate, 
guys that have massive upside. And generally speaking, those guys that live in that like four to five K range just don't have it. It just the win rates are low and you know, you're going to be disappointed more times than not. So there's two options. And that's why the, the word polarity was used here. You either pay up or you completely punt. Mid-range tight ends bets. They are the syrup of Ipecac of, of DFS. They induce vomiting. All right. That's, that's basically what I want people to walk away from this uh, podcast. Hopefully if you were driving, uh, you didn't vomit all over yourself or you're with your kids <laughs> or on the toilet. Don't, don't do that. Well, hopefully your but, kid didn't vomit if you're in the car. <laughs> don't do it. But yes, you don't want to set yourself up to chase a touchdown because we know that most, you know, most of these guys are t- touchdown or bust and those mid range guys are not great plays. So if they don't hit that week, the Eric Ebron's you mentioned Evan Ingram never hit, let's be honest, last year at all, then you didn't want to waste that salary. I would rather have a punt tight end at 2,500, 3,000, 3,200, something like that, that goes two for 20 and I can make it up somewhere else in cash game. Now in GPPs, this is a different story and we'll talk about that in a second, but in cash game lineups, Betts and I subscribe a lot to punt tight ends and sometimes I think we go on a wild goose chase searching for the one that week and maybe there is none like that. that I sometimes find myself like saying like, this is my strategy and this is the only way it's going to work, but you can pay up as well. And we did that a couple of times last year where it was like, Kelsey, I just know he's safe. And obviously Kelsey basically had the greatest tight end season of all time, but you want that. So it's these two extremes, but it changes the way you make your lineups, right? Like, if I'm playing with Kelsey, then I can't spend up at wide receiver like like everyone else. But when you put that punt tight end, your roster looks a little bit nicer. You can fit in more. So talk to the people about that tension. Yeah. Well, the thing with Kelsey last year is like if you just took the the TE away from his name, you would say, man, he's underpriced relative to what he's doing. He He's the wide receiver, too, behind Devontae Adams, basically. So I think last year that was a unique scenario where it made a lot of sense to pay up some weeks because you're getting a wide receiver one in the tight end slot, but you're not paying a wide receiver one salary sometimes. So uh, that was unique. But yeah, I mean, the, like the difference between the two scenarios, especially at punt tight end, like in cash games, like Kyle's saying, you are living with a zero. And sometimes that's okay. Like if I'm playing a $2,500,000, you know, tight end in cash and I walk away with two points, the thing is that you just know that the rest of your shall- your roster is so strong because you have the salary to make up for it that it usually won't kill you. Like that's not going to be the deciding factor. Evan Ingram is not going to bury you. Hunter Henry is not going to bury you. Jared Cook last year wasn't going to bury you in these lineups like the way a Devonta Adams could, a Christian McCaffrey could, et cetera, et cetera. So I think in those scenarios, like people get so nervous because they're like, dude, I would never want to play this guy. Like this sounds horrific. I would never want to play Anthony Ferkser last year. But there were times where it just made sense because there was a little bit more opportunity. Maybe there was a player out in front of them. The salary didn't adjust and they were just so cheap that it was like, if things go super, you know, horrific here for this player, you're still going to be okay because the rest of your lineup is good enough to get you there. I'll say this with GPP because there are weeks where tight end is just flat across the board. Like if you go back and look at top 10 tight ends each week, there are weeks where like the number five tight end scored nine points. And you're like, why is this guy the number five tight end? It's just because the position as a whole, and you got lucky that week that you didn't pay up or Whatever, but then there's other weeks where Kelsey goes off for 30 or Waller, and you are buried. 
you were just completely buried because you had a super thin play. So listen to what I'm saying. Like punt tight end is fun. It's one of my favorite parts of DFS to identify. But in GPPs, you have to be very careful that you're not just looking for a floor play of this guy got six points. Because a lot of times you're looking for the tight end that might be correlated with the quarterback. So you're saying this, these two guys are going together. I think the tight end gets one of those touchdowns. And maybe this guy gets me 12 to 18 points. And I think I can get there. So it's super important not just to punt and say, I'm going to punt no matter what. Uh, you are playing in a spectrum. And, and there's a high end of the spectrum that only a couple of players can hit. Uh, there's still players like that, like Tyler Higby, that are super interesting because we know that maybe they can get there. We've seen it before and you can tell yourself a story, but yeah, GPP, you can get buried very quickly at tight end because it was Waller week and you were out. I 100% cannot wait to lose so much money on Tyler Higby this year. I can already feel it. (laughs) I'm already like way too in on best ball. Like, Oh Lord, help me. (laughs) Dude, I'm, you know, I'm down with the Ferk daddy. I, Oh yeah. I've been trying to trade for him in Dynasty, and I cannot trade for him. But I also think it's at the point where people that are in leagues with me are saying, okay, is there something you know that I don't know? I don't want to trade with you anymore. Yeah, it's because he has a sweet nickname. I, that's part of it. I even, in the offer, I wrote Ferk Daddy, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not really getting it. Someone offered me Terrace Marshall for him. <laughs> I laughed in their face. Not up in here. No way. They don't know. Who Not on this show. <laughs> um, any quick last thoughts on tight end? Because it's a onesie position. Some weeks it means nothing. And then other weeks it's like you didn't have the guy. You're screwed. So any any last thoughts on tight end? No, I think we covered it there. I think the biggest thing is like in cash games, I'm more willing to punt. I think in GPPs, I'm more willing to spend up, like you said, to get that huge ceiling week from a Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, etc. And... When I mention middle tight ends, they just soak up percentage that I don't care about. But if you do find a tight end that is like one, two percent and they do get the two touchdown week, then that is a crazy advantage. And it can happen like we could and Eric Ebron could do that, but it's just not something that you're going to be able to hit time and time out. But one last position, I don't have a drop for this. It's not really worth our time, but we had to mention it, bets just for the people out there. And that's that's defenses because we do play with them. Unfortunately, we don't play with kickers. But defenses have the most sensitivity in DFS, meaning they are price specific. So what do I mean by the fact that they are price specific bets? I said you can win with the zero from your tight end in the last section we talked about. You can win with negative points from your, your defense and still win in, in DFS. I remember there was a week last year. I, I don't remember the defense I played, but they had like negative six points. Like, horrific like bottom barrel defense probably like the jets or something that were like 2100 that had an awful week but i'm not spending up on defense hardly ever they are a filler position you're plugging them in and that we just know like it's not common for a defense to go for 25 fantasy points it happens of course time to time you know strip sack a couple of turnovers you know an interception recovery or something like that like it happens but you can't predict it and so it's one of those things that I'm just willing to kind of like take a salary uh, discount, I guess, to plug them into my lineup. I'm certainly not looking to say, okay, well, I could have this wide receiver and play this cool defense, or I could have this like, you know, really bad defense, but this like wide receiver is great. Like that's what I'm doing. 
I'm more willing to prioritize these other positions over defense. It's just so it's just so up and down, like you can't predict it. So for me, it is the last piece of the puzzle when I look at my DFS lineups each week. Yes, I agree. Each week we identify price specific plays. So we like saying this defense is three thousand dollars and we think that they have some sack potential. But we're not putting so much into it because there's so much there's just so much involved that has to go right for a defense to hit. And when you get that defense, one of the best feelings in DFS that you had that defense in your cash game lineup. We, I remember one week it was Miami and I just was like, felt so great about it. And the next week, I think I got negatives. So it's, it's all over the place. I think embracing, that's the main thing I just want to say, like embracing the fact that everyone, everyone gets defense wrong all the time and just being okay with that. Like you're not going to be able to create a model even from the best fantasy websites that identify defense and the way that they can predict an, an interception return or a punt return for a touchdown, like that's just not going to happen. So be fortunate when it happens and when it happens against you, just say, Hey, I, I did not see, you know, the jets beating the Rams. I did not see that. I did not see the jets being the Browns bets. Did you see those them win those two games? I mean, I'm not going to say I called it, but uh, no, I did not see that coming. But I will also say that those are scenarios where, you know, there will be weeks where there is a chalk defense. You know, like you said, like the Rams, they're going to smash the Jets. I'm going to play the Rams defense this week. Well, not so fast. You know, like that's the hardest position for us to predict in fantasy. And if there's going to be anyone that's chalk in defense, 12%, 15%, heck, 20%. I remember there was a week last week. It was our last year. It was like the Cowboys week against the Bengals or something like it was so bad. It was so chalky. Um it's just so easy to fade. So I would recommend to anyone you see that in the roster percentages, it automatically a light bulb going off in your head that says, why is this happening? I should fade this. So if you trekked with us, hopefully you got to see each of those positions, see how we approach them. We're going to keep building on this as we go through July, move into August. So we've talked about our mistakes. Bets and I have talked about how to approach these positions. Next week, we're going to put these positions together and talk about roster construction. We talked about roster construction for best ball. For DFS, it's a little different. We're also going to mention roster percentages and kind of give you a little bit of a tease of what we do in the DFS pass in terms of our roster percentage projections. But bets before you head off to the beach, which I know you are ready. You are you got a fresh oh, yeah. cut. You're ready. Any last words for the people? I would just really encourage people to like smash the subscribe button, man. This this next couple of weeks is going to be awesome. I'm really excited about what we're building, going back to kind of how to build a lineup, how to win in DFS. Stick around. It's going to be a fun summer. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.